If you're a Christian, you have a story to tell someone. Be encouraged to share it next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Well, hey, welcome to another Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll be in John chapter 9 today, if you want to find your place there now. It's here in this chapter, we find a guy sharing his story over and over again. In short, his testimony is, though I was blind, now I see. Pastor Ed says that's really the testimony of every believer, and we should look for opportunities to share it with someone. The greatest evidence for the truthfulness of Jesus Christ is that we were once blind and now we see. <laughs> the radical transformation of a life is the miraculous work of God. You who were once lame are walking now in the wholeness and the fullness of Jesus. Your lives have been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Your marriages have been restored. Your families have been established. Your life and the, God, the changes that God has done make the strongest evidence and the strongest case for the validity of Christianity than anything else. Lame man standing whole, blind men seeing, messed up lives restored. The kind of evidence, the kind of argumentation, that, that the type of things that the world just simply cannot dispute. You know, you can open the Bible with someone and they'll argue. people will argue with the Bible. Most people have enough knowledge of the Bible where they can develop a good argument for it. And then now with Google, you know, they just Google it and go, well, you know, this guy said this and this guy. And the people will argue with you day after day, week after week, and month after month about the Bible. That's when you start to draw out, okay, well, this is my life. You know that book you're arguing about? This is my life. I read it. I listened to it. I, I believed in God, and he radically changed my life. What are they going to come back and say? Um, uh, let me look up the Greek on that, you know? It's like they, they can't look up the Greek or the Hebrew, and, and if the longer they've known you, they're going to say, yeah, man, I grew up with you. I mean, I still pray for the people I went to high school with because they— you know, I just look back. That was one of those times where I just regret it so much. I could have, like, man, it was just such, it was such a horrible season of my life. And all those guys grew up with me. They, we all hung out together. And I think of some of those guys are saved now, but many of them, many of them are not. And if there's anyone that can see a journey, you know, most of you, people, most of you here today, most of you that know me, you have no idea who the old dad is. And for, you know, that's a good thing. You didn't want to meet me back then. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. But, but you, you don't know that person, but I grew up around a neighborhood, just like you did, of people that know and people that I hung out with and people we did really bad things with. And, and people know, just like in your life, you grew up in a neighborhood. You grew up in a family. I remember my parents, man, my parents. I, I never really did ask them for all the details, but they were very skeptical when I said I, got, I, I, was, I, I was saved and my life has forever changed. Because they watched me get into all these things throughout the years. They watched the pattern of me getting in trouble, feeling a little guilty, begging my way out of it, getting into this thing over here, and then for, in a short amount of time, the next crash I had was even worse, and then I got into all kinds of stuff, and then I felt guilty. I mean, they watched, that was their, that, that poor, my poor parents, you know, they watched that year after year. 
And then finally, this was another time, another time of difficulty in my life, another time of trying to get things right. And this time it, I mentioned God, and this time I'm reading the Bible, and this time in church, and, and they were just waiting me out. They were just going, let's see if this is legit. Let's see if this is real. And so much, so, so much a, a part of our ability to communicate the gospel is watching, people watching our lives and our story not only being shared verbally, but our story being shared to the eye as people are watching our lives. That's what's happening with this blind guy. They can't dispute it. But they refuse to believe so much. So notice what happens. It says that they, in verse 18 that they called his parents. Seriously. Everybody knows this guy was blind from birth. I believe they knew it. We're not talking a big metropolis here on the Temple Mount. Like the guy was in the same place all the time begging. He was known as a beggar. Everybody knew him. <laughs> and they will bring his parents. Great. So they get their parents. Verse 19. Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered and said, we know that's our son. Okay, check. That's our son. And he was born blind. Check, he was blind. But then, verse 21, by what means he now sees, we don't know. And who opened his eyes, we don't know. He's of age. Ask him. He can speak for himself. So yes, he's our boy. Yes, he was born blind. But we're not getting into any of that stuff with him being, being healed. Again, even his parents, you would expect to read something about how excited his parents are, how many times they must have prayed for their kid to be healed, how many times they must have come with an offering and a sacrifice on behalf of their son. But even they are under this pressure of the religious system of the day, and all they really care about right now is themselves. You go ahead, how do you see that? Well, notice, his parents, verse 22, said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was the Christ, they would be put out of the synagogue. If you like to write in your Bibles, next to that you can write the word excommunicated. That's what they're being threatened with. If anybody claims that this is Messiah, then they will be kicked out. They will be removed from... There are actually two types of of banishments that could take place here. The first one was a total and a complete banishment. It was just known as the ban, or the Hebrew word kerem, by which a man was banished and his family from the synagogue for life, publicly shunned. Another one was a temporary ban, where for a season of time, maybe a month or two, they would experience the difficulty of being outside the community of faith and receive the punishment for whatever it is that the religious leaders of the day thought that they did. Now, that has carried in, this idea of excommunication has been carried into and is from God in a form in the church today. We would refer to that today, according to Matthew 18, as church discipline. And we also see it played out in 1 Corinthians where you, you, you Bible students, you remember there was a guy in the church in Corinth that was having fornicating and adulterous relationship with his dad's new wife. And instead of, instead of the church saying that's wrong and calling it sin, the leaders kind of said, oh, we're just kind of a permissive church and we let anything and whatever culture wants. And, and they were allowing it and making it. And nobody was standing up. And by the time Paul wrote his letter, he go, this is sin. And, and he used some strong words. He said, you need to deliver this guy over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. And that's what the church did. They brought about church discipline on that sin that was within. 
and he was outside of the family of God within the city of Corinth. And by the time we get to the second letter of Corinthians, we know what happened? It worked. The whole goal of church discipline is not to punish. It's to purify. It's not only to purify the church, but also that person so that they might be brought back into fellowship. Do you know it's not God's heart for the pastors and the elders here to permit sin in the church? just to turn our eye to it and go, well, you know, it's everything, every other church is doing it, and, you know, we might as well just let it in because it's so pervasive. No, no, the Bible says that the church is the salt and light of the earth. We're not just to permit stuff to go on. The Bible says that we're to come and speak to you with the hopes of winning a brother, to, to win, hey, look, what's going on, man? That's just not healthy for the church. And I, I was looking back, I don't, we don't have it written down or anything, but I think in the 16 years that we've been a fellowship family, on three occasions we've had to have church discipline here. Most of the time we're able to work things out. Most of the time we're able to spiritually convince. Most of the time we're able... But you know what happens here is when church discipline takes, takes place, you know what happens. They just take off to another church. There's so many churches in town, they just go to another church and take all their sin and nastiness there until the leadership finds out there and hopefully they'll hold into it. And I've just watched people just go from church to church as if that's going to solve their problem. The only thing that's going to solve your problem is repentance. Repent. Repent and come back to the Lord. Like Paul would tell, or excuse me, like Jesus would tell the church in Ephesus, remember from where you have fallen. Repent and repeat those first works. Just go back to basics. So here he is. His parents aren't even rejoicing. They kind of sell him out here. They don't want to be kicked out of the, of the synagogue. And what that meant is they would lose the ability to worship. They would lo you lose the ability to pray. They would lose the ability to enjoy fellowship. They would lose their business. They would lose their livelihood. And most likely, they would become a beggar like their son. So what do they do? That's our boy. Yes, he was blind, but we're not getting into that Jesus stuff so they could save themselves, which ends pretty sad, as you'll see in a moment. I believe parents are to stand with their kids, not stand against them, especially in vulnerable times. But notice, he says in verse 24, so they again called the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory, and we know that this man is a sinner. And he answered and said, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Then they said to him again, what did he do to you? And how did he open your eyes? You see, because the how was very important to them. What did he do? Did he heal you? Oh, strike one. How did he do it? Well, he spit on me. Okay, strike two. All right, so here we go. He answered and said, I told you already. Now we're going to get a little bit of, this guy's getting a little impatient. I told you already, and you didn't listen. Do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? <laughs> He's picking a fight here. He's like, just leave me alone. How many times do I need to tell you? I was born blind. I'm healed. The guy made, he spit. He made some mud. He told me to wash. What do you want? You refuse to listen. So he's getting a little frustrated. You ever get a little frustrated? Well, you can be buddies with this guy. Verse 28. Then they reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we're Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't know where he's from. That's not true. They know exactly where he's from. This has come up over and over again. You know, when you refuse to believe, you have to follow that up with lies. This isn't true. They know exactly where he's from. Jesus at this point has said it multiple times. I didn't go through and count, but he has shared multiple times. He's from the Father. He only does what pleases the Father. He's over and over again. But they're stuck with Moses. They, they claim allegiance to Moses. You know, we, see, we hear something similar in the church today. 
We hear this, this allegiance to man, and maybe you, you've been a part of it before. It's, it's, it sounds like this. You know, I'm a Calvinist. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm an Arminius. All right. I'm a Methodist. I'm a Presbyterian. I'm a Baptist. And heaven forbid, I'm a Calvary Chapelite. <laughs> As if that's some big deal. God doesn't want you to identify yourself by your denomination or your church. He wants you to identify yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not you're a Presbyterian, not you're a Baptist, not what church you go to. You know, Calvin is dead. Luther is dead. But Jesus Christ is alive. He's alive. Follow him. Now, theologically, theologically, I recognize that they're not dead in the sense that I believe they're in the presence of the Lord. I believe that all their differences has all been made up, you know, and it's no big deal anymore. No denominational structures in heaven. And I believe that if Martin Luther could come back today or John Calvin could come back today and just get three minutes on the stage here, if Jacobus Arminius could come back right here and say, you know what they'd say? Stop arguing about us and follow Jesus. Go tell somebody that Jesus died and rose again for them and we'll see you in heaven. And then they're gone. But we get this today. I'm of Moses. Man, you're, you're not of Moses because if you, and we've already seen that when they said that they were of Abraham, remember? We're Abraham's kids, and Jesus just laid it out for them. Man, if you were Abraham, you'd be people of faith. If you were his kids, you'd look like his kids. You, you'd behave like his kids. Well, they're doing it again now with Moses and how careful we need to be. So he says, now, the man answered in verse 30, why, this is a marvelous thing, that you do not know where he's from, and yet he's opened my eyes. Now, we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone's a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Now, we need to pause here before we move any farther. There's a statement that's made here that God does not hear sinners. So let me ask you the question. Does God hear sinners? Yes. yes. You go, wait a minute, Ed. What do we do with this passage of Scripture? Well, you need to be careful when you're reading the Bible because this is inspired of God. John did write this down. It is from God, and John did write down what that man said. That man said that God does not hear sinners. That man is incorrect theologically, but that's what he said. So John had to write it that way. He didn't change it. He didn't edit it. He wrote down that this man spoke incorrectly. And so the Bible the Bible is accurate and true in what it records, but here he's quoting someone, and what the guy's saying isn't true. So don't let somebody come to you and go, well, you know, God doesn't hear sinners because it says right here in John 9. No, no, no. If God didn't hear sinners, he would never hear any of our prayers ever again because this house is filled with sinners. The first prayer you ever prayed, asking God to forgive you of your sins, you were a rank sinner at that. And so God does hear sinners. And I would invite you today that if you cry out to him today, and, and that you wouldn't be so, so easily offended by saying, well, man, what do you mean, Pastor? You just call me a sinner, and I kind of laughed at it. I don't really like that. Hey, look, the Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You're no different than me. The only difference between you and me is to the degree of what we were into and the fact that I repented of that sin a long time ago and I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And yet still, the Bible says that we still stumble and fall in our lives. We're, none of us are perfect. You're not in a room full of perfect people, but you are in a room of many of the people here today, many people listening in from afar. Their lives are being changed day by day by Jesus. And that's his invitation to you, and you'll have that opportunity in just a moment. But, but be careful with the text, 
This is where you got to learn how to be careful with the text because, yes, it's a true statement what he said, but it's not true theologically. He's wrong. Just like the book of Job. When you read the book of Job, you read through all those guys, what they said. That is all what they said, and it's recorded in Scripture. But everything that they said isn't theologically true. And this is an example of it here. So, now... It says in verse 32, Since the world began, it's been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Now that's true, theologically and accurately recorded for us. They answered and said to him, You were completely born in sins, and you are teaching us, and they cast him out. So his parents, his parents put him in a vulnerable position where now he's cast out. You know, parents, we've been put in our kids' lives to tell them the truth to protect and guard them. And, and if our kids are going in the wrong direction, to, to really disciple them to go in the right direction. And, and here you have, another, you have a lapse where they're so fearful about themselves that they'd rather have their son experience. And here he is. He's been excommunicated by the Pharisees. But, verse 35, Jesus heard that they cast him out. And when he found him, he said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? Isn't that a sweet verse? You might want to put a little heart next to that one in your Bible. How sweet. Jesus heard about him. And when he heard about him, he went looking for him, and he found him. That's just so beautiful. It just reminds me that, you know, when God knows what's going on in my life. He knows all about me. He knows any of the things I'm dealing with with people, family issues. He knows all about them, and he seeks me out to comfort and encourage me and draw me into a deeper place of faith. What's true for me is true for you even as true for this. Do you believe? Because the issue isn't about being excommunicated. The issue isn't even about being, you know, at odds with his parents or whatever, however that went down. The issue is this. Do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered, verse 36, Who is he? Who is he, Lord, that I might believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Now that's really cool. Don't miss this. You have both seen him. This is the first day of him getting his sight, and he literally did see the Son of God with his own two eyes. That's amazing. I have it written down. I have it circled here, seen him, and I just put a little note here. This is awesome. Don't miss this. Not only did he hear him, but he saw him. And then he said, verse 38, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And then Jesus said, for judgment I've come into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may be made blind. And then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, are we blind also? Great question. And Jesus answered, if you were blind, you'd have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. You go, that's kind of a confusing verse. Let me simplify it for you. Jesus is very kindly but sternly calling them hypocrites. He says, if you were blind, you wouldn't know anything about sin. You'd be innocent. But because you say you see, because you put yourself in a position where you see, and yet you refuse to see, you're really blind. You're hypocrites. Now later, he says it really kind here, but later in Matthew, he's going to say, you guys are like whitewashed tombs. You're, white, you're all clean on the outside, but you're full of dead men's bones. I mean, he's going to get really strong for these guys, but at this place, he's not. Now, we spoke a little bit about human tradition, religious tradition earlier, how careful we need to be to not allow 
religious traditions to blind us from the reality of the presence of Jesus Christ. One way that God does that is by bringing us through the process of maturity. Or you could also say that God reveals himself progressively, progressive revelation. And I would hope that you look at your own life right now and you are more mature and you know more of Jesus Christ than you did when you got saved. Would you say that's true in your life? Yes or no? Are you guys with me? Yes, I hope so. I mean, some of you guys are like, I don't know, and I want to grow. Well, the good news is this. If you want to grow, you can grow as fast as you want to grow. God will take you as fast as you want. Let me show you what I mean. Go back to verse 11 in this guy's life. Verse 11, John chapter 9. Let's watch just what happens in a day with this guy. He answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me. So his first description of Jesus is a man named Jesus. That's how he's just a man named Jesus. Then notice verse 17. In verse 17, it says, then he said to the blind man again, what do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes. Now notice, he said, he's a prophet. So now he knows a little bit more. He's just the man, Jesus. Now he's a little bit farther along. He's a prophet. Then notice now, verse 38. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. He went from, he's a man named Jesus, to he's a prophet sent from God, to now my Savior and my Lord. There's a technical phrase for that. It's known as progressive revelation. Or you might say it in your own life, maturity where we're growing up in our knowledge of who Jesus is and what he's doing in our lives. And one thing that will stunt and arrest your spiritual growth more than anything, well, really there are three things if you want to jot them down. Three things to watch out for as you're opening the word, desiring to follow Jesus, worshiping in this church, worshiping in any church. There are three things you need to watch out for. Number one, prejudice. Prejudice will blind you from the truth. That could be prejudice in a racial place. You know how, how there's so much division between men and women because of the color of skin or the language that's spoken or, you know, that it's all the result of sin and it's unfortunate and Jesus Christ has come to redeem that and that we wouldn't see people with prejudice or our own personal prejudices when we open up the scripture. Secondly, we need to be very careful of our preconceived ideas. You know where you open up the Bible and you have your preconceived ideas, where you already think you know what the text says because somebody told you that or you heard something. Uh, you need to be careful. Uh, I think that one thing that, that we as believers have to be very careful of are just jumping to conclusions. It's so easy to jump to conclusions instead of being open. You know, the Bible would say it this way, don't lean on your own understanding. Be careful of prejudice. Be careful of preconceived ideas. And then thirdly, be careful of religious traditions, religious traditions that are not in the scriptures. They've been handed down from the church or from the priest or from the pastor or however they've been handed down. Be careful because when a religious tradition doesn't match the clear teachings of scripture, you dismiss the tradition and you accept the scripture. That's what we do with them. Today on Abounding Grace, we've been encouraged to tell someone about our God story. It's powerful, and God can use it in great ways. And this is part of Pastor Ed Taylor's study in John's Gospel. 
Hey, thanks for listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We're going through the Gospel of John right now, and you can hear this message again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen through our app. Search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play. And we're also on OnePlace.com and have a podcast, too. We all have stubborn habits in our lives. Maybe it's a tendency to worry, drink alcohol, lust, or curse. And perhaps you're finding it very difficult to break. Well, we've got a helpful book to share with you from Erwin Lutzer called How to Break a Stubborn Habit. As the name of the title would suggest, this book will help you shake that nasty habit. We'll send you a copy when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Just call and ask for How to Break a Stubborn Habit. Our number is 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. You can also order online at calvaryco.store. Abounding Grace is made possible through the generous support of our listeners. And as we deliver God's Word one verse at a time, we're looking to our listeners for help. Together, we can reach people with the love and truth of Christ and make a difference in these last days. To make a secure donation, drop by AboundingGraceRadio.com or call us at 877-30-GRACE. Tomorrow on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor talks about the problem of pain and suffering as our study of John continues. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.